Good evening. Welcome to the Wednesday evening family gathering. How are you this evening? Your day gone well? Uh, that's not a rhetorical question. I wanted to know. Did they go well? Okay. Nine out of ten? Eight out of ten? Seven out of ten? Somebody want to take their day over and start tomorrow? Yeah, I've had days like that too. Not today, though. We've had a good time of fellowship and a good time of growth this week, haven't we? All in favor say aye. Hi, Sean. How are you? I saw you the other day, but I hadn't, didn't get to say hi to you. I, I do need you to stand just for a second. We're going to sing some songs that take some energy, so you're going to need to shake hands with a couple of people just to kind of prime the pump. Dr. Heck has been calling us to, uh, to commitment and challenge all week, and so the songs we're going to sing this evening reflect that kind of thing. I'm going to sing a phrase, and need you to sing after me. Sing, hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. Oh, hail Jesus, you're my Lord. I will obey your word. Once see your kingdom come. Not my will, but yours be done. Oh, glory, glory to the Lamb. You take me into the land. We will conquer in Oh, how wonderful you are. 
experts, you watchmen live. Your voices joyfully is one. Shout for your king. Your king. See I to
been through fire, we've been through rain. We've been refined by the power of His name. We've fallen deeper in love with You. For You burn this truth on our lips. Rise up, church, with broken wings. Fill this place with songs again of our God. By His grace, again we'll fly. Yes, we'll fly. Shout to the north and the south and sing Jesus. The east and the west and sing Jesus. This Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. One more time, sing and shout to the north and the south and to say to each of us tonight. I also want to thank Dr. Alan Like. Don't you appreciate Dr. Like's spirit? You know, we come in every night and he gives us a little sheet and he says, this is what we're going to do. And he's planned it well and worked along with uh, the churches uh, this week and providing musicians and and this has just been a wonderful time. So thank you, Dr. Light. And, uh, and thank you, my friend, Dr. Ed Heck. Uh, we, we just so appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule. You know, he is really supposed to be teaching a class at Olivet Nazarene University this week on Christian ministry. So, uh, as I understand it, he went to his staff at the church that he pastors there, Kankakee First Church, and he assigned each of them a day to go in and teach that class so that he could be with us. And we are so thankful, Ed, that you could be with us. And uh, his lovely wife, Kathy. Kathy, would you please stand? Kathy... uh, Kathy is the administrative assistant of Dr. Brian Wilson, Chicago Central District Superintendent, and uh, Dr. Wilson happens to be the chairman of the Board of Trustees at Nazarene Bible College. So we're glad that he said, go ahead and take a week off and and join Ed there at, at NBC. 
There's one other group of people that I don't want to miss tonight, and um, you folks know that we're in transition in this chapel. You see the holes around that we're digging and this type of thing, and we have a little problem that we're trying to fix here in the chapel. So we have started the, the school year uh, having chapel in Williamson. And so our grounds uh, crew and uh, Dr. Mike Aaron Beatty, uh, Dr. Mark, Mike Aaron Beatty, not doctor, but Mike Aaron Beatty. I'll, I'll just go ahead and give you one, Mike, and claim it and name it and, and all that stuff. So, uh, Mike, would you stand, and, and the crew here that works with our grounds, I know some of them have been here through the week, and we appreciate so much. When we began planning this, this, this room was completely cleared out. There was nothing in this room. And they've set all of this back up for us this week, and thank you for going the extra mile, Greg, Wilma. Your crew, thanks for going the extra mile for us. Well, I, I don't want to take much more time. I just want to thank each of you for coming. Many of you have been here Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And we've walked along together with Dr. Heck through this journey of devoting ourselves to Jesus Christ. And I trust tonight, and I would say this to our students. I know some of them are brand new here. This is your first experience in an opening convention, family gathering. I want you to understand something. Our, our, our primary concern here at NBC is your spiritual wef- welfare. That's our primary concern. We want you to get a good education, but we are most concerned about your walk with Christ. And I can tell you that any time these altars are open, you can come and know that your professor will be here supporting you and praying for you and caring for you. Then we'll get on to class. But that which is utmost important is our spiritual development in Christ. So I want you to know that any time that these altars are open and God is speaking to you, you feel free to come. We'll pray with you. And then we'll take care of the class business, okay? God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. We're going to continue our songs of commitment, but they're a little different than the ones we started with.
My 
Would you like to pray? Yeah. Oh, Father, we say the word, thank you. But you know that, you know that it's been true in our hearts all evening long. You have heard, Father, the, the praises come from our lips. You've, you have felt the beating of our heart with passion for you. You have known, O oh God, that we are committed to you. You are our God. We are astonished to think that there's not, been, there's not been one moment in the history of this world where there have not been voices crying out to you in praise, even in the midst of difficult times. And they have called out with needs and concerns and life deep woes and you you O oh god have heard and you have answered your people have been cared for but we need now lord in this place where you have warmed our hearts now lord would you stir our hearts don't leave me don't leave President Graves, or any of us, not one of us, Lord, do not leave us untouched. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us, move us, draw us, push us, change us, that we may be like the one whose name we call and in whose name we pray this prayer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it has indeed been a great privilege and an honor for my wife and I to be a part of your family gathering this year. When I tell you that it is indeed a privilege, I mean that from the very bottom of my heart tonight. And uh, to be reacquainted and, and reconnected with some of uh, our dear friends. You may not know this, but uh, the pictures that I showed you on Sunday night, and if you didn't get a chance to see that, it's okay. I've already paid heavily for showing those photographs. But I felt like I should at least mention them tonight in passing to say that um, those were the people that I knew 30 years ago. And... Well, a lot has changed over 30 years. Some other things haven't changed. They were great people then. They're even better people now. And um, Dr. Like was uh, in our wedding, stood up with me as one of the groomsmen in our wedding. We haven't hardly seen each other since those days, but life has a way of sometimes taking you different directions, and it's been a wonderful privilege for us to be 
reconnected with uh, Dr. Like and his wife, Marilyn, this past week, just for a little while. It's been a great honor. And I should say this also. Uh, Dr. Graves alluded to the planning of the services. And as you might expect, I sent ahead information to Dr. Like of where I felt like I probably would be going with the messages that I would be preaching this week. And you might not know it, but I can tell you there has been meticulous detail and thought and preparation and prayerful consideration given to the planning of these services. And as I've listened to the music, it's resonated in my heart to know that your worship leader, your chaplain here, is in tune. He is in tune. And the music that we've used and shared together in family gathering this week has been reflective of that to me. And it's been great to be with you, Alan, again. And, uh, of course, to be with Dr. and Mrs. Graves, uh, I should say, I must say, from what I consider to be a very honest evaluation, you, of all people, are most blessed to have this fine family as your spiritual leaders here at Nazarene Bible College. And I know that he is the man for the job right now. God's best, indeed. If I did not already believe that, spending time with them this week, and it has just been a joy, and boy, do they know how to take care of guests. I'll just tell you, you never have to fear. Uh, But spending some time to hear and feel his pulse for this place, I know that you've got the absolute right man for the job. God is good, and he's blessed you in that regard. Well, I began Sunday night in that message, talking about the compelling cross. I started there intentionally because I think from a theological perspective, the cross is the centerpiece of everything else that I would want to talk about during this week. As we went through on our journey, as Dr. Graves alluded to it earlier, I spoke about the compelling Christ, the compelling call. And tonight... The last message that I share with you, and you know how this works, it's Wednesday night, this is, this is the opportunity for me to fill in all the cracks with the things that I should have said earlier in the week, and so now, you know, um, maybe you get to class tonight, maybe you don't, this is my last chance. <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you about the compelling cause. Everything I believe from the cross to this moment is linked Christ, the call, and now the cause. I believe in my heart tonight that God has called us not to safety, but he has called us to a life of service. Some of you are fully engaged in that service right now. You're on the front lines. There are others of you who are here tonight preparing to become part of that service. And when we understand what Christ has called us to do as a fully devoted follower, and we understand that it takes us to a place of service, not necessarily safety, what a resounding affirmation that unique 
difference makes to a world that watches those who are in service. I've been reminded as I've studied how many times God's finest people throughout the pages of history have been willing to serve others and the cause of Christ even in the face of great impending danger. My mind was refreshed how a compelling cause has always been able to marshal a great following. Think about it. World War II was launched because of the threat of a tyrant by the name of Hitler. The European conflict hardly seemed much of our business until that fateful day when Pearl Harbor erupted in a rain of Japanese bombs. Everything from that moment in time changed. An entire nation rallied around that moment. The sons and daughters of a nation willingly put themselves in harm's way that instant. Factories across our country began retooling in order to accommodate the needs of war. And America became preoccupied with a cause from that moment forward. And we've seen more recently Regardless of how you feel about the war that's taking place right now, following 9-11, we demonstrated that ability again to rally around a cause. So if Jesus says, follow me, it is valid for us to inquire where that will take us. And the answer earlier in the week we stumbled upon when Jesus issued that call to Peter and Andrew, he looked at them, and in the phrase, Matthew 4, 19, he gave us a clue as to what the cause that was so compelling would become when he said, I will make you fishers of men. One of the things that we quickly learn about Jesus is that he was passionately drawn to people. All kinds of people. He was consumed with meeting people and loving people and reaching people. So it comes that following Jesus as a fully devoted follower, the only outcome of significance and value for us has to be directed toward all of those others. In much the same way that Jesus was constantly reaching, consumed with the idea of reaching others, it should be a part and parcel of our lives as well to be about the business of other people. And so the compelling nature of who Jesus is should impact not only our conduct and our character, but it should at that same moment dramatically impose a great cause upon each of us. Now, followers have readily embraced his cause through generations. We've quickly come to realize that everything is, in fact, under his control. Everything has been given for the purpose of you and me becoming an instrument to impact the world around us. We see this lived out even in the life of the family. I have this image. Pastor, as a pastor, 
I see it lived out in the life of my congregation and the families who are a part of my congregation. Not all of the families, but many of the families. I see it in the lives of parents who see their homes as a place where love and peace and nurturing grace can and should be displayed for their children. Parents, I think, have been enlivened in their spirits to see that their own children become the primary focus of outreach. It's not enough just to have children, but we have a responsibility to make sure that we lead those children to Christ. They're real persons who also have the potential of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ and in turn can impact their world in an immeasurable way. Whether they become doctors or lawyers or butchers or bakers or candlestick makers, whether they are pastors or missionaries, they still have a potential for impacting the world for Christ. The liberating reality is Nothing in life is more important than the cause of Jesus Christ. All of life's decisions are formed by this one dynamic. Everything that we value in our treasure chest, whether it's our money or our career or our family, our friends, our possessions, our property, all of those things have been given to us by God for the cause. Everything within our grasp is a means to reflect the compelling Christ to those who need him the most in their lives. Now, we look at the picture of the disciples, the early disciples, who saw Jesus not only as a compelling person, but a person who was worthy of their full, complete devotion. They also had the advantage of listening to him talk about this compelling cause and what it was going to be for them. They had a choice to make. Some of them were fishermen. You've heard me talk about that already. Their lives could be consumed with piles of fish. That was one choice. They could make that choice if they wanted to. Or their lives could be about touching people with the transforming, liberating power of Jesus Christ. The cause is what required them to get beyond the fish, because after all, all of those kinds of things are temporal. And the cause was about seeing everything in a life that was given to them as a platform from which Jesus could be seen. Now, for you and me today, the cause is carried out against a culture that has a preoccupation with its own needs. Do you know that? Sure you do. Following today, and the very essence of following, is an expression that should compel us to look beyond ourselves toward the needs of other people. It all begins with a commitment to Jesus Christ that is undisputed, undiluted, A commitment to Jesus Christ that is unconditional, unrivaled with anything or anyone else. And moving from the place where we recognize the call to the cause, well, 
it sometimes takes a great deal of time. And maybe you have been in the process of being moved from a place where you know you have been called to fully understanding and embracing the cause. It puts you in the position of making a decision as well where you have to answer the question, is my commitment to the spiritual needs of others closer to the response of Jesus now than it has been in the past? Or, and this is the hard part, does my life still revolve around me? The truth is, most of us follow at a distance. The distance is further for some of us than others. And Jesus was always about trying to shrink the distance between himself and his fully devoted followers. And that's not always an easy process, not even for Jesus. In fact, I'm fascinated to see how the disciples, who were, in my opinion, consummate followers had such a difficult time getting close to Jesus in regard to their perceived importance of themselves. How many times do we stumble upon the disciples in the New Testament and find them getting in their own way? Think about it. Time and time again, the disciples are found disputing and debating who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom that they thought Jesus was going to establish. Each one in his own right was anxiously awaiting to see if maybe they would be given the most important post in the kingdom that they believed Jesus was going to establish. And so pervasive was this impulse that on the night before Jesus was crucified, this was the topic they were talking about. It prompted Jesus, if you will remember, to graphically demonstrate the distance. You remember how he did it? He dropped his robe. He put a towel around his waist and knelt down on the ground to wash the feet of his disciples as a servant. I don't know why it is But a great deal of the energy of the cause, in my opinion, continues to be absorbed by self-centered agendas. I wish that were not true. But I think it is. I mean, think about it. How many people do you know who come into church, pastor, who come into church seeking a place where they can serve? doesn't happen very often. More often than not, people at least come to my church with a consumer mentality. What can you do for me? Will this church meet my needs? Will this church hold my interest? Will this church solve my problems? The compelling cause of Jesus is empowered by fully devoted followers who dare to get close enough to Jesus until they see themselves as servants to others first. Not last, first. 
Now, I've already told you my predisposition to understanding that the disciples were dreadfully out of step with the cause of Jesus, at least in the early stages. There's a wonderful passage from John chapter 9 where the disciples pointed out a, a man who was blind and he was begging beside the road that they were traveling upon. Do you remember what they asked Jesus when they saw that man? They said, Who sinned? This man's parents or the man in his mother's womb? As a result, he's blind. Who's responsible for this? There is no doubt in my mind they'd likely seen that same man many times before. And the response of Jesus to that very odd question showed the huge distance between himself and his followers. His response was a response of compassion, not curiosity, not judgment. That wasn't what was important to him. And it's amazing to me how like we are the disciples. So detached. We hear of trouble in someone's life. And unfortunately, we seem far more interested in the details or in uh, giving analysis to the situation than we do to trying to find out how we can reach out to that person to really help that person. It's amazing what just a note or a listening ear or a prayer or a hug can do to move us beyond being merely curious to having the compassion of Christ. Why is it that so many people call themselves followers and still are prone to take a discompassionate, judgmental view of other people? I've recently dealt with this in my own church. On a Sunday morning when I stood before the congregation in a challenge, I said to them, why, why do we always insist on shooting our own wounded? Well, getting close enough to Jesus results in not only saying that we care about the needs of others, but it propels us into doing something about the needs of others. Now, when I travel in airports, sometimes even in shopping centers, other public places, I often use my time to engage in one of my favorite things to do, and that is to watch people. As I watch people walk by, pass by, I find myself wondering to myself, I wonder where they come from. I wonder where they're going. I wonder what that person does for a living. Or, as I made note on my trip here Sunday afternoon, could that person possibly have looked in the mirror before they walked out of the house? (laughs) Jesus, Jesus repeatedly saw things that other people didn't see, including his disciples. And I think part of the reason is they were so preoccupied with their own preferences and their own prejudices. Found a familiar story in John chapter 4. You remember it? 
where Jesus sent his disciples into the city for the purpose of finding some food. He was weary from the journey, and so he sat down near a well, and there was a woman who had come to the well. Jesus asked her for a drink. Later we would learn the purpose behind his request. As I've read that passage of Scripture over and over and over again, I I just try to put myself in his position. A long, busy, very complex day comes to the end. And I'll just tell you, I'll be honest, the very last thing that I would want to do is get involved in a deep conversation with a total stranger. Jesus saw something in that woman that took him beyond his own preferences. And I've wondered to myself, what exactly do you suppose it was that he saw in her? I mean, do you remember she was from Samaria? Jesus was a Jew. The Jews and the Samaritan people lived in a deep racial polarization. That racial divide related to nearly every aspect of their existence. The animosity was long-standing. It had something to do with the fact that they had invaded each other's territories. They had ransacked each other's temples. And so there was great disdain for one another. And yet Jesus saw something in this woman that melted that racial, cultural prejudice that usually would have created an inseparable barrier between them. So what was it that Jesus saw? The disciples come back from the city, and as they do so, they stand in sharp contrast with the one that they have committed themselves to follow. I say that because as you read the text, you discover that they are not happily amazed that Jesus has broken the conventional barriers to speak to this woman's needs. And so they respond to him with more consternation than enthusiasm. Quite obviously, they didn't see that woman the same way that Jesus did. Now, let me jump to what uh, you probably would recognize. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know what they call it. But I'm reminded of this computer-generated art where at first glance, all you can see are these squiggly lines that are periodically punctuated with small little figures. I'm told that if you stand and gaze at that picture long enough, those random lines kind of pull together in your mind to reveal a three-dimensional work of art. And in fact, I've been with other people who have been able to perceive that picture almost instantly. And by contrast, I stand there with a blank stare on my face looking like an abject fool because I can't see a thing except the squiggly lines. Well, in much the same way, I think many of us fail to see people that takes us beyond our prejudices and our preferences. And the disciples fall into that very same category. Jesus worked tirelessly trying to shrink the distance for his disciples. He tried repeatedly just to get them to lift up their eyes and take it off of themselves so that they could see the abundant harvest that was before them. So, in answer to my question that I asked earlier, what do you suppose it was Jesus saw in this woman? There's the answer. He looked at her, 
and he saw the harvest. So what do you see when you see people? A fully devoted follower of Christ trains their perspective to see the harvest. And seeing the harvest just isn't enough, you know. You then have to reach out in compassion, be intentional, be creative for the cause. Because the cause is about the harvest. Mark it down. When we are committed to following every single time, Jesus will take us places we've never been before and help us to see people that we've never seen before in a way we've never seen them. Because following is all about seeing your neighbors as the harvest. Can you get a picture in your mind of your neighbor right now? I'm talking about the neighbor that mows his grass at 7.30 on Saturday morning. I'm talking about the neighbor that plays heavy rock music in the apartment above you at all hours of the night. I'm talking about your boss at work. You see him not as a means of advancement, not as a mean of perks or pay raise or anything else, but as someone who just might be drawn to Jesus by seeing him reflected in your life. I'm talking about the masses at the football stadium. I'm talking about that irritating person at the checkout who has 17 items in their cart instead of the mandated 15 items and no more. The harvest, you see, is composed of people who are not like us. They are not from where we are from. And unless we do something, they're not going where we are going. By the miracle of His mercy and grace, I think I'm just beginning to fully understand and appreciate what it is He really wants us to be what it is He really wants us to do. Embracing the cause will mean something different for each of us. It could mean a concentrated ministry of prayer for you. It could mean a testimony of courage and confidence in the midst of pain and sorrow. It could mean offering the widow's might. It could mean a costly act of forgiveness. It could mean a bold proclamation. It could mean an unashamed commitment to integrity in an environment where you are prone to expediency. It could mean all of those things. Well, I've heard this story hundreds of times. I'm going to share it with you anyway. You've probably heard it too. And I'm sharing it with you tonight because every single time that I hear it, it triggers a raw nerve in my heart. For a Sunday school teacher in Boston, Massachusetts, embracing the cause meant taking Saturday mornings to visit each of the boys in his rather small Sunday school class. One of those boys worked in his uncle's shoe store. And so on Saturday morning, Edward Kimball entered that man's shoe store 
walked directly back to the stock room where that young man was stocking the shelves. It was on a Saturday morning, discharging this for the cause, that Edward Kimball led that young man, whose name was Dwight Lyman Moody, into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Edward Kimball had no idea what the act of that faithfulness would mean in reaping such a rich harvest for the kingdom of God. Do you know that it's estimated that during his lifetime, D.L. Moody traveled more than a million miles, and this was in a day when travel was not as convenient as it is today, more than a million miles, and spoke the good news to over a hundred million people. How many of those people came to know Christ because of the witness of his life? Stay with me just for a few more moments, would you? D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. Of that hundred million people, one of the people who heard the message and responded was a man, young man by the name of Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman would respond to the invitation and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and he too would become an evangelist leading large crusades. During one of his crusades in the city where I live, in the city of Chicago, there was a baseball player who played for the Chicago White Stockings who was standing out front of a bar on State Street when he heard a gospel wagon coming by playing hymns, inviting people to the special services, and he thought he might go. And he did go. His name was Billy Sunday. And that afternoon, he met Jesus, would eventually leave baseball and become a great evangelist. Still with me? In one of Billy Sunday's many revivals, there was a young man by the name of Mordecai Ham. He met Jesus. He too would become a great evangelist particularly in the southeastern portion of the United States. And one night, in a very large crowd during one of his crusades, a young man by the name of Billy Graham came forward to meet Jesus. What a remarkable succession of faithful harvesters for the cause. Now let's put it in perspective. Just think. Just think if Edward Kimball, like so many of us, wasn't willing to give up a Saturday morning for the cause. Can you imagine? Friends, tonight, Jesus is a compelling Christ with a compelling cause. And he says to you and to me, look at the fields. They're ready for the harvest. The question is, are you ready for the harvest? He's counting on you. He's counting on me. And Dr. Graves, the next Billy Graham, 
could possibly be in this crowd tonight. Stand with me, would you please? We're going to sing a song tonight that really succinctly summarizes the focus of the entire week. If you are going to be that fully devoted follower of Christ, it begins right here, right now, at a moment like this. And it's a moment where you're going to be challenged to surrender it all. You're giving it all up. Everything. But you're giving it up for a cause that is worthy of your life. Can you lay your life on the line tonight by surrendering it all? Let's sing this together if you'd like to pray. As Dr. Graves said, the altar's open. Why don't you be the first to lead out tonight and lay it on the altar and give it all to him. Let him know that you can be counted on for the work of the cause. The harvest is waiting for you. Let's sing it together. To Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's really true. And tonight, I just believe that God is counting on you and me to be the one, to be the one for someone else. Eternity is what is at stake here. It's not our comfort. It's not our convenience. It's eternity Unless we should forget, there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. Open up your heart tonight as we sing this next verse. If you'd like to pray, come and join those who are with us tonight. And all to Jesus I surrender humbly at His I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken take me Jesus take me now I surrender all I 
have friends here praying tonight. And we're going to sing one last verse. And I would invite you to come and pray along with them. Support them in your prayers. Maybe God's still speaking to you and you'd like to slip out. We have plenty of room here to pray and plenty of time to pray. We're going to sing one more verse and I'd invite you to come pray with these around the altar. All to Jesus I surrender Make me say Father, tonight, humbly at your feet we bow. We're so thankful for the witness of the Spirit in this place tonight. Yes. The way you've witnessed to us, Holy Spirit, through the singing of songs and the preaching of the Word. The way, Holy Spirit, you have witnessed to our hearts to bring us to this place of prayer. And now, Lord, we say to you, take all of us. Every room is yours. We hold nothing back. We ask you to fill the whole house tonight. Fill us up with yourself. Give us a renewed passion for the cause. It just really boggles my mind, Lord, that you have entrusted the cause to our care, our concern our commitment. Oh God, help us not to fail you. Fill us anew with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit so that we can be fully devoted followers the cross and the cause. Touch our eyes that we may see the world as you see the world, Jesus. 
touch our hearts that we may love the world as you love the world. Give us a passion for the harvest. Thank you for these who kneel and pray and those of us that stand and pray tonight. May we go from this place empowered to be devoted followers. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for being here this week and tonight. May you go in his peace.